0: Hello everyone and welcome to Spark My Muse. I am your host, Lisa Colon DeLay, and today you are listening to Soul School, Lesson 268, The Inner Instructor, Thomas Kelly. Today I'm going to be reading a devotional classic to you called A Testament of Devotion by Thomas R. Kelly. This was written in 1941. Thomas R. Kelly lived from 1893 to 1941, and was a Quaker educator, missionary, scholar, and speaker. Quakers believe in something called the inner light, something that every person has, every human has, because we are made in the image of God. We belong to God, and we have a piece of God, this inner light within us that can never be taken away and never be traded for. Thomas R. Kelly his work has influenced many people, including Eugene Peterson, Richard Foster, Martin Luther King Jr., Howard Thurman, and a great many other people. Quakers are pacifists, and this small book called A Testament of Devotion is an excellent one to have in your library. You can go back to it again and again and get such wisdom and insights from it. I'm just going to read a short portion from a section called The Light Within, page 12 to page 19. Thomas R. Kelly writes, There is a way of ordering our mental life on more than one level at once. On one level, we may be thinking, discussing, seeing, calculating, meeting all the demands of external affairs, but deep within, behind the scenes, at a profounder level, we may also be in prayer and adoration, song and worship, and gentle receptiveness to divine breathings. The secular world of today values and cultivates only at the first level, assured that there is where the real business of humankind is done and scorns or smiles intolerant amusement at the cultivation of the second level, a luxury experience, a vestige of superstition, an occupation for special temperaments. But in deeply religious culture, people know that the deep level of prayer and of divine attendance is the most important thing in the world. It is at this deep level that the real business of life is determined. The secular mind is an abbreviated fragmentary mind, building only upon a part of human nature and neglecting a part, the most glorious part, of a human being's nature, powers, and resources. The religious mind involves the whole person, embraces his or her relations with time within their true ground and setting in the eternal lover. It ever keeps close to the foundations of divine creativity. In loneliness, it knows joys and stabilities, peace and assurances that are utterly incomprehensible to the secular mind. It lives in resources and powers that make individuals radiant and triumphant, groups tolerant and bonded together in mutual concern, and is bestirred to an outward life of unremitting labor. Between the two levels is fruitful interplay, but ever the accent must be on the deeper level where the soul ever dwells in the presence of the Holy One. For the religious person is forever bringing all affairs of the first level down into the light, holding them there in the presence, re-seeing them and the whole of the world of people and things in a new and overturning way, and responding to them in spontaneous, incisive, and simple ways of love and faith. Facts remain facts when brought into the presence in the deeper level, but their value, their significance, is wholly realigned. Much apparent wheat becomes utter chaff, and some chaff becomes wheat. Imposing powers? They are out of the life and must crumble. Lost causes? If God be for them, who can be against them? Rationally plausible futures? They are weakened or certified in the dynamic life and light. Tragic suffering? Already God is there and we attentively move in God's tenderness towards the sufferers. Hopeless debaucheries? These are children of God. His concern and ours. Inexorable laws of nature? the dependable framework for divine reconstruction, the fall of a sparrow, the Father's love, for faith and hope and love for all things are engendered in the soul as we practice their submission and our own to the light within, as we humbly see all things, even darkly, as though through a glass, yet through the eye of God. How, then, shall we lay hold of that life and power and live the life of prayer without ceasing? By quiet, persistent practice in turning all our being, day and night, in prayer and inward worship and surrender toward God who calls in the deeps of our souls. Mental habits of inward orientation must be established. The first days and weeks and months are awkward and painful but enormously rewarding. Awkward because it takes consistent vigilance and effort and reassertions of the will at the first level. Painful because our lapses are so frequent, the intervals when we forget God so long. Rewarding because we have begun to live. At first, the practice of inward prayer is a process of alternation of attention between outer things and the inner light. Preoccupation with either brings the loss of the other. Yet what is sought is not alternation, but simultaneity. Worship undergirding every moment, living prayer, and the continuous current and background of all moments of life. For the sole preoccupation with the world is sleep, but immersion in God is life we cease trying to make ourselves the dictators and God the listener and become the joyful listeners to God, the master who does all things well. There is, then, no need for fret when faithfully turning to God if God leads us, but slowly, into God's secret chambers. If God gives us increasing steadiness in the deeper sense of God's presence, We can only quietly thank God. If God holds us in the stage of alternation, we can thank God for God's loving wisdom and wait upon God's guidance through the stages for which we are prepared. For we cannot take God by storm. The strong adult must become the little child, not understanding but trusting the Father. But to some, at least, God gives an amazing staidness in him. A well-nigh unbroken life of humble, quiet adoration in God's presence, in the depths of our being, day and night, winter and summer, sunshine and shadow. God is here, the great champion, and we are with God in God's tenderness, quickened into quietness and peace. Children in paradise before the fall. Walking with God in the garden, in the heat as well as the cool of the day. Here is not ecstasy, but serenity, unshakableness, firmness of life orientation. We may suppose these depths of prayer are our achievement. The precipitate of our own habits at the surface level settled into the subconscious regions but this humanistic account misses the autonomy of the life of prayer. It misses the fact that this inner level has a life of its own, invigorated not by us, but by a divine source. There come times when prayer pours forth in volumes an originality such as we cannot create. It rolls through us like a mighty tide. Our prayers are mingled with a vaster word, a word that, at one time, was made flesh. We pray, and yet it is not we who pray, but a greater who prays in us. Something of our perfunctiform selfhood is weakened but never lost. All we can say is, prayer is taking place, and I am given to be in the orbit. In holy hush we bow in eternity and know the divine concern tenderly, enwrapping us, and all things within God persuading love. Here, all human initiative is passed into acquiescence, and God works and prays and seeks God's own through us in exquisite, energizing life. Here, the autonomy of the inner life becomes complete, and we are joyfully prayed through by a seeking life that flows through us into the world of human beings. Worshiping in the light, we become new creatures, making wholly new and astonishing responses to the entire outer setting of life. These responses are not reasoned out. They are, in large measure, spontaneous reactions of felt incompatibility between, quote, the world's, unquote, judgments of value and the supreme value we adore deep in the center. There is a total instruction, as well as specific instructions from the light within. The dynamic illumination from the deeper level is shed upon the judgments of the surface level, and lo, the former things are passed away. Behold, they are become new." paradoxically, this total instruction proceeds in two opposing directions at once. We are torn loose from earthly attachments and ambitions, and we are quickened to a divine but painful concern for the world. God plucks the world out of our hearts, loosening the chains of attachment, and God hurls the world into our hearts where we and God together carry it in infinitely tender love. Positions of prominence, eminences of social recognition that we once meant to attain, how puny and trifling they become. Our old ambitions and heroic dreams, what years we have wasted in feeding our own insatiable self-pride, when only God's will truly matters. Our wealth and property, security now in old age, upon what broken reeds we have leaned, when God is the rock of our heart. And our portion forever. Unless the willingness is present to be stripped of our last earthly dignity and hope, and yet still praise God, we have no message in this day of our refugees, bodily and spiritual, nor have we yielded to the monitions of the inner instructor. That was from the section called The Light Within by Thomas R. Kelly from the classic a Testament of Devotion. The small book was published in 1941. In many ways, it seems like a modern message for us today. I hope you enjoyed that reading today. You may want to go back and listen to it again. It is kind of a devotional in itself to read and absorb deep into our second level, into that deeper level where we reside close to the Creator and that inner instruction. So I hope you will receive this message today that you will go in blessing and peace. And I'll see you next week with something new.